For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, welcome in. It's the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Patrick Allen, Matt Verderan, back again. If my audio sounds a little wonky, we had some technical difficulties. If it's not up to your usual standards for the fine audio of the Arrowhead Attic Podcast, apologies this week. We'll figure it out. Be back in business next week. Verderan, how you doing, man? Good. I want to point out that for once it wasn't me who had a technical difficulty. Because I, know, I, was, right? I was getting roasted in the chat for the last six minutes. If people were like, oh, Verderam, you can't figure it out. I'm in New York. I'm not even at home. So for once in my life, it wasn't me. Although uh, now that I say that in two minutes, I'm sure I'll lose internet signal for the next five years. But yeah, uh, I don't, you think it's fair that everybody just assumes I've got my shit together and that you're a total disaster? I think that is fair. <laughs> yes. I think right. On the whole, yes. I think it's completely right. fair. All right, I'll take it where I can get it. How's everybody doing out there? Appreciate you all coming to watch live. Uh, Chris Albright had a quick question for us. Matt and, Pratt, Matt and Patrick, question for you. Do you think the Chiefs will tag and flip Orlando Brown Jr. for draft picks in 2020? Uh, for draft picks in 2023? Well, they have tagged him, but he hasn't signed it yet. Well, no, he's saying, do you think they'll tag him next year? And oh, tag him next year. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, if they can't know. find the deal for him, yeah. But... I've seen, I know there's been like a million things said about this whole situation. I can tell you for a fact by my own reporting on this, they still really like Orlando Brown. In fact, I was told that, quote, they love Orlando Brown. And that, that word was used multiple times to describe how they feel about him. Not only the player, but the person. I do not envision this being something that is overly contentious. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to find a deal. That doesn't mean that they're going to find common ground. But it does mean that they are both both sides are willing to work toward it here into the future. I will say this much. I would be shocked next year if he plays well and they do not tag him. I would be shocked. Their financials are set up in a way where they can do it. My understanding is that they understand they're in that position. And, and obviously some of that, it sounds obvious, but think about it. But they understand that they can do that, which is why they 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 maybe made the offer that they did. And they didn't go full boat. You know, I know it's just 23 million a year, but if you take out that dumb year, it's 19 million a year. So um, factor that in. And by the way, some of the uh, ready whips is where in uh, New York are you, Vernon? I'm, I'm about a hundred miles north of New York City. So the, the Catskills. 
Um, and Chris says we need an appearance from Matt's dad. And Chris, you might get one. He's uh, on his way home from work, so God only knows. <laughs> you, you might get your wish. Yeah, look, I'll say this about again. We haven't we haven't been on the two of us Thursday show since uh, Orlando Brown declined to, or since they did, weren't able to come to a deal. Right. Um, so at this point, it's just uh, it's just a waiting game of whether or not he's gonna he's gonna sign. And once he signs, he he can show up. You know, there's there's talk of him sitting out. I don't know. Look, I'm just going to go on the record and say, and I'm I am the, like the biggest pro player guy you're going to find. I always think guys should get as much money as they can and be loyal only to themselves. I think it's a job. Same time, I don't know why Orlando Brown did this. I, you know, maybe it's a million or two lower than he would have liked. Um, definitely not as high, but like I just don't I don't get it. I don't think it, it I don't think it achieves anything other than if he wants to sit out training camp and some of that stuff, he can't. He doesn't have to go because he hasn't signed yet. But other than that, I mean, all you're doing is you're punishing the team. And I think he should have locked it in. Because as you pointed out in our last show, Matt, bad injuries can happen. And I like as much as I'm pro player, I like I don't think the Chiefs are too far off base with their offer here for how Orlando Brown played for them last year. So, you know, you can make the argument maybe it's a little bit low. He's protected Patrick Mahomes. He's a good player. He's got upside. There are all those things. But, you know, if he didn't want to sign the deal, he's going to get paid handsomely this year. You know, I see this from both sides. I truly do. I think the Chiefs should have offered him more money. I'm going to be very honest. I think the Chiefs should have offered him about 5 and 105 and not 5 and 95. And for people who are like, well, what is the difference? Well, $10 million is the difference. That's the difference. The other thing I would note, and I'm one of the people I'm about to mention here, you didn't see a single reporter put out how much guaranteed total money he was offered. I noticed that. I yeah. couldn't find that. And I and I worked hard on that for a couple of days. They could not get an actual pin-down answer on what they offered him. Now, I reported the signing bonus offer, which was the biggest in history for a for a left tackle, for any tackle, uh, which was just over $30 million. It was a touch of, I think it was 100 grand more than Trent Williams, which is significant. It was over $30 million. But could not pin down what the, what the full guarantee offer was. I understand if you're Orlando Brown going, look, this is my big contract. This is my big shot at a deal. And Jay Ward, they offered $19 million a year. Okay, taking out the six million, the, the sixth year, which was like forty-four million, which he was never getting. Okay, so it was really five and ninety-five. That is not a bad offer. Like, and this is why I get it from the Chiefs' perspective. The Chiefs are looking at it, going, "We got leverage. We've got leverage right now. We can tag him for another year. If he plays out the year on the tag, he's getting sixteen point six. But like, that's a hell of a long way from ninety-five million. Okay, so I get it. And their offer was fair. Like, I broke this down in a space as I did the other day, but I want to do it here real quick. What the Chiefs offered him was not insulting. When you have a player on a tag, you figure out what the two tags are, and that's the baseline for the guarantee. Because this year it's 16.6, next year it's essentially 20. Okay. So his guaranteed money is about 36 and a half million. And then you go, okay, if you're going to guarantee a third year, that would have put the Chiefs in the 50s. While I wasn't able to pin down the number, I can say with reasonable certainty that's where the, the guarantees would have lied, would have lied. Right, right around 50 to 60 million guaranteed, somewhere in there. And if, and if I'm right on that, then I think that makes sense for Brown to sign because that's about where David Bakhtiari is and, and Trent Williams is and Ryan Ramchek is. So he's taking a chance. I also think the Chiefs recognize, look, they can tag him again and do this dance again. And they will um, if he plays well, is, is my strong belief. And I see, look, not a, not a top five left tackle. You're right. But as a free agent, he's going to get paid like one. He is. And you know what the truth is? In three years from now, he's going to be paid like the ninth best left tackle. It doesn't matter. 
Like that's the one thing people have to understand. It just doesn't matter. What matters is guaranteed money and structure. That's it. The rest of it's bullshit. It doesn't matter how many years are on there. It doesn't matter what the overall value is. It doesn't matter what the annual value is. What matters is his guarantees and his structure. He could have signed it and it wouldn't have been a bad deal. But then you look at Cincinnati, who has Jesse Bates on a $13 million tag. They offered him a five-year contract for $17 million guaranteed across the life of the deal. That's insulting. Like, I think there's a very good chance. He Almost a certain chance. He's out the door. As far as with Brown, I think he will be back well before the season begins. He made $3.5 million his first four years total in the NFL. He's making a million dollars a game this year. I highly doubt he's going to forfeit those paychecks. I just hope he doesn't sit out camp to try to make a point, and then he doesn't get all stretched out. You know, he doesn't get that camp. That camp right. work's important, man. And then he comes back, and 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 not only will it screw the Chiefs if something happens to him very early in the season or the preseason, but it's going to screw him because now he doesn't get to go out there and improve that he deserves that that top five tackle money. So he's really rolling the dice here. If it were me, I'd lock in the nineteen million, but. Far be it for me to tell another man what to do with his money. Hey, listen, the Arrowhead Attic Podcast is brought to you by the Kansas City Beer Company. Casey Beer Co., check them out on Twitter, at Casey Beer Co., the largest locally owned brewery in Kansas City. Our friends here for many months supporting this podcast, making it so that we can bring you the most mediocre Chiefs takes in the business. When you're out shopping, and some of you have done this, we saw somebody, I think uh, the guy's name was Daniel, just the other day on Twitter, tag Casey Beer. He was picking some up to celebrate the, the birth of his child that was upcoming. Picked up some Casey Beer. Pretty awesome to see that out on Twitter. So we appreciate whenever you guys do that. It lets them know that they're getting value from supporting this podcast. And we hope you get value from it too. So do us a favor, shout them out at Casey Beer Co. on Twitter. Let them know you heard about their product on our podcast and dare to beer different. All right. Verderan, some kingdom news. First of all, we'll start with the obvious. This week, very exciting. Quarterbacks and rookies report tomorrow. So it's starting. Uh, they're going to get going. And then next Wednesday, the 27th of July, is the first training camp practice. So again, light your candles, say your prayers for all the injury stuff that's definitely not going to hit the Chiefs this year. But if you're trying to do, do the reverse of that, if you're a real low kind of person, and you know, you're the, the voodoo doll type of person, whatever, what have you. You know, the Chargers, the Broncos, they're going to be hitting the field. So, you know, you do you. I personally would never wish an injury on on any professional. But what the rest of you all do out there, hey, I don't have any control over that, what you put out into the universe. As a golfer, for years, I've been hearing PXG say, nobody makes golf clubs like they do, period. You know what? They're right. I went in for a fitting and saw for myself, went in to swing the PXG Black Ops driver, and let me be honest, I was skeptical. Again, I I loved my old driver. I had uh, another very popular big-name brand. I love my driver, but they brought me in just to, to put it to the test. The PXG driver, it won. It was, I don't know, 7 to 10 yards longer. The dispersion was better. And the fitting experience was legitimately phenomenal. You know, I went in being a skeptic, and I came out being a true believer. It feels like a premium club in your hand. And not just that. The the ability of, of the actual fitting process blew me away. We went from extra stiff to regular stiff shaft. We tried out different weights on the shaft. We tried different shafts in general. 
Um, we, we were messing with the weights in the driver going from a 10.5 degree driver down to a 9. As someone who has a high launch angle, who gets a lot of loft and height on their ball, I needed something that was a little lower, so we moved the weights to the front of the club. It, it was such a wonderful experience. I mean, they analyze every little bit of information to get the perfect fitting just for you. Um, again, I was blown away by the PXG Black Ops driver. PXG made me a believer. They'll do the same for every golfer in Kansas City. Visit pxg.com slash arrowhead to schedule your fitting at PXG Kansas City. Uh, that is 7517 West 119th Street in Overland Park. Get fitted for any club and you'll get a dozen golf balls free. That's pxg.com slash arrowhead to schedule your fitting. pxg.com slash arrowhead. Limit one dozen golf balls per person. Promotion ends June 30th. Other terms and conditions may apply. See store for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aside from that, uh, Willie Gay Jr. has reached a plea deal. If you might remember, I think it was back in January. There was a domestic incident. Um, he broke a vacuum cleaner. Uh, cops were called. It sounded like a fight. I don't want to you know, put too much uh, conjecture in here, but the cops were called. He was taken away. He's pled down. Uh, you can read the article on arrowheadaddict.com that he's got to do some some counseling and and some other things, maybe some community service. Check the article. Uh, and if he does, I think it's about a year. And if he does all of those things, the charges will go away. Probably the best case scenario in a situation like that for Willie. Again, we don't know all the details, but hopefully none of these things crop up. Do, have you heard anything on this program from any of your sources? Or do you no. anticipate any sort of punishment from the league being levied against Willie Gay Jr.? I have, and, and I don't I don't expect punishment he didn't he didn't hit anyone he didn't assault anyone look sounds like it was a scary situation sounds like something you wouldn't want to be involved in i mean you think about a guy the size of willie gate throwing stuff around your house it's terrifying okay that being said thankfully while it was an ugly situation it didn't turn into a horrible situation and nobody got hit nobody got assaulted so no i don't think the nfl will um will go after him for this i mean look he ultimately from my understanding of it per tmz uh he agreed to uh, mental health counseling. He's got to keep his nose clean for a month or a year, excuse me, a year. Um, he has to submit uh, to drug and alcohol testing. So, listen, and, and in, in exchange for that, the case is dismissed. I think if you're Willie Gay, that's 
probably best case scenario. And hopefully, uh, if you're people around him, you feel like this is the help he needs and the help that, that he, he will uh, will grow from. So I think in the end, look, you're never happy about a situation for anybody when the cops get called and, and there's, you know, the items are busted up, things like that. But at least again, you know, unfortunately, so many times those things turn out far worse and with much more dire consequences. It didn't. That, that's that's the, the the blessing in that. You hopefully now, you hope now he learns and grows and moves forward and becomes uh, a little calmer in those situations. Uh, and you hope he completes this process so that the case is dismissed uh, and he can move forward and, and his, you know, his family can move forward and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's got struggles, deal with mental health, anger issues, all those types of things. So, you know, you just hope, always hope the best for any chief uh, on and off the field. And, and we certainly wish Willie and all involved in that particular situation the best. Unfortunate things happen and uh, hopefully everyone comes out of the other side of it a little bit better. Uh, hey, Brewer, I want to give you a chance to talk really quickly about the piece that you dropped this week. Uh, it got a lot of really great notice on on black quarterbacks in the NFL. I read it. I thought it was a tremendous piece. Hats off to you, man. I, I love the summers, y'all, because you know that's time when Matt's able to kind of stretch some of his other talents that maybe he doesn't have as much time for during the NFL season. We're you know, covering things rapid fire, doing podcasts, all that stuff. So uh, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that so some of our listeners who may not have seen it can find it. Thanks. Yeah, man. Uh, it um, it went up on Tuesday morning. Uh, I tweeted out a bunch of times, as did Fansite. You can, you can find it there on Twitter for sure. Look, I, it ended up – it was titled The Long Road, Black Quarterbacks and Their Struggle in the NFL. And I talked to Warren Moon. I talked to James Shaq Harris. I talked to Doug Williams. Couldn't find three nicer guys. Harris's birthday was actually yesterday. I believe he turned 76. I reached out to Marlon Briscoe and unfortunately, tragically, from heart failure, he passed away a week afterwards. Uh, so I did not get to talk to him. But James Harris uh, – thanks, Zach, for dropping in the channel. You guys can see it there. James Harris uh, was, was uh, Marlon Briscoe's roommate. And if you're not familiar with who Marlon Briscoe was, he was the first starting black quarterback in pro football, at least in, in the American or National Football League. He started for a year in 1968 with the Broncos and was really talented, threw 14 touchdown passes as a rookie, which, by the way, is still the rookie record for Denver, more than Elway. And they got rid of him. They cut him after that year, and they, they blamed it on his height. He was 5'11". And he ended up becoming a free agent, signed with the Bills, and turned himself into a Pro Bowl receiver for the Bills, and then later a two-time champion for the Dolphins, starting uh, opposite of Paul Warfield. But it was just, it was a fascinating, look, I I love NFL history. I always feel like I I know about as much as I can on the subject, but when you talk to these guys, and they tell you things on and off the record about what they went through and different situations they encountered. Warren Moon told me straight up, it was harder at home than it was on the road, because in, in Houston, he got more racial taunts in some ways at home. Uh, his family needed to be put up in a private box so they couldn't be shouted at during the games. We're talking kids, like little kids um, in the 80s. I mean, this is not ancient history. This is not, you know, 1940. This is 1986. It was fascinating. And then, you know, Doug Williams, first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, first black quarterback to start a Super Bowl. And how much does it mean? You know, James Harris was at, at the game in the stands. Coach Eddie Robinson, the famed coach at Grambling, who was the coach for both Williams and Shaq Harris, in the stands. Warren Moon was not in a box. He was in the stands crying watching the game. It's the longest piece I've ever written, and it was one of the most impactful, at least in my opinion, and I hope people check it out and read it. Yeah, I know sometimes people are like, oh, it's just it's a you know, racial piece. No, it look, yes, a big component of it, it certainly is is race and how it and the, the prism it's been viewed through in the NFL. But if you love football, it's about the struggle of men who played the game. And I think it's an important thing to understand and it's an important thing to recognize uh, as we move through the years. 
Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. If you love the game, this is NFL history. It hasn't always been like it is today. And a lot of people had to go through a lot of things, not just in the NFL, but in, in sports all over the place. Yep. Right. And we're in a better place today. And hopefully we keep getting better. And that's good. And one way we can get better is to read about and learn about the journeys of other people who have gone through this this uh, journey. So I think it's really great. There's also a great book coming out uh, by Jason Reed called Rise of the Black Quarterback. Yes. Um, we got an advanced copy of this. I'm hoping to get Jason on the podcast here in the next couple of weeks to talk about it. It'll be a great uh, companion piece with the article that Matt wrote. You know, it's it's um, you know, there's a big there's a whole section in here on Mahomes um, because, you know, it, 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 as you mentioned, it, there haven't always been a lot of black quarterbacks. And now that we're in sort of this golden age and you look around and there's a lot of really fantastic black quarterbacks in the league right now, uh, which is really exciting. That's the touches on the journey here, this book and then what's happening right now in this kind of revolution. So it's uh, it's pretty great. So let's move on, talk a little bit more Chiefs here. So Verderan, the Chiefs. They won a little bit of hardware recently. Um, not the kind of hardware we use. Well, we in February. But yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we'll take it, though. It's the uh, They won the ESPY, uh, the Chiefs' bills for the best game uh, just the other night. So that's pretty cool. I was fortunate enough to be at that game. And I, I have a, kind of a story to tell. I don't know if I've ever told this on the podcast. Maybe I did. Uh, maybe I did. I, I know I hopped on. I hopped on the podcast on the after show from the parking lot right yes. afterwards. <clears throat> but I was sitting. Uh, I was sitting with Arrowhead Attic co-founder Zach Besson. We had some box seats. Very fortunate. And next to us was a whole box of of Bills fans, and they were great. You know, they they were you know, weren't jerks. So they were respectful, cheering for their team. They were happy. It, it actually really, for me as a fan, added to the drama of the game because, you know, you had your own internal feelings watching this great, incredible game. And then right next to you, you have the you, you have them sort of needling you every time things go wrong. And they're happy and you're sad. And then you're ha- and then you, you can't help but like look over, you know, when the Chiefs do something bad, you look over at them and they do something good. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, all in good fun. It was actually Josh Allen's father was in that box and some of his family I learned later and after the game I took I took a video and I you know I zoomed in on the scoreboard and then I I zoomed in on uh on right on Josh Allen's dad without knowing it was Josh Allen's dad and I went back to the hotel room was watching all the highlights and saw that it was pretty fun um actually shook his hand on the way out and and told them you know great game I wanted to ask you Verderm was this was that game, that playoff game against the Bills, was that the best NFL game you've ever seen? And I know you sit around and you watch, you know, games, anything you can get, black and white, uh, you know, stick drawings of NFL games. What's your right. opinion? So before I answer the question, the other piece I dropped this week went up yesterday, and it was an exclusive. Uh, I talked to Dawson Knox, the Bills tight end. I wanted to reach out out and highlight him. I think he's going to have a big year. And I asked him about that game, uh, just kind of on the side, just it's kind of the preview, you know, with the Bills being favorites and how, how they're kind of looking at that game. And he, he, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but one of the quotes uh, that he, he gave me, and I'm trying to find it right now. So he said, I asked him about the 13 seconds and essentially, you know, how, how was the feeling? And he said, you know, you know, quote, I think that feeling of having won the game, you never want to celebrate a win too early, but we were hugging each other on the sidelines. It was all but one for us. So, that, so to have that rug swept from under our feet is a feeling I'll never forget. And I think it's the same for all my teammates as well. I think that's going to be a crucial motivator for us going forward because you'll learn more from a loss than you do from a win. That'll be a 
great little chip on our shoulder going into this next season. And, and, and there are some other quotes you gave about that game that I ended up not using, just didn't fit the story. By the way, one of the nicest guys, I mean, Mike, he could, couldn't be a nicer guy. After the story went out, reached out independently. He was so thankful he wrote the piece. Great, great dude. But I said on the plot, and by the way, the record should show, you offered me a ticket for that game. <laughs> and I didn't go because I was like, you know what? I have this tradition. I watch those games with my dad. And even though I live in Chicago and he lives in New York, we, we get on the phone, we sync the games up and we watch them. So I got to say, it's the ultimate compliment to my dad. I don't regret not going because it was amazing being in that moment. Watch. I knew you guys were there. It was awesome. I've watched probably thousands and thousands of NFL games dating back to the 70s um, that I can find. I think it's the best NFL game I've ever seen because people will always look to the ending of games. They will always point to, well, look at that Patriots Falcon Super Bowl. Okay, but the game was a dumpster fire for three quarters. Like, look, you know, look at, you know, I think, I think one of the games in recent memory that you'd point at and say that game was right there was actually the Pat Seahawks Super Bowl. You know, that game. But again, I would argue that that game was determined in large part by mistakes. The, the Bills-Chiefs game has to be the greatest collection of, of plays I've ever seen from two teams with really neither one of them making a huge error. It wasn't that you could argue the Bills made the mental error of 13 seconds of, you know, kicking deep. Sure. But nobody turned the ball over. Nobody even came close to turning. It wasn't like, I mean, Allen recovered his own fumble once on a sack, but there was no ball that like hit a guy in the hands and he should have, you know, he should have intercepted. That game was brilliant. And, and, like I would even argue, despite the score, it was really well played defensively most of the game. I mean, if you go look at the, what was the score at the two-minute warning of that game? What was it, something like 26-23 or something? I mean, it was it was not like it was some shootout where neither team could stop the other. They actually did come up with some great defensive plays. Yeah. Allen was unbelievable in that game. He could not have been any better. Yeah. And, I yeah, I do. I think that game... You know, people talk about the immaculate reception. Okay, the score was 13-7. to 7. The, the offense was terrible in that game. You want to talk about the uh, classic, the, the epic in Miami in 1981 with the Chargers and Dolphins. There were a lot of turnovers in that game, and the score was 24 nothing in the first quarter. Like, that Bills-Chiefs game was never a blowout. It was only, a one, it was only more than a one-score game for one play, and then Allen threw a 75-yard touchdown pass. I, I don't think you'll ever see a better game, certainly from quarterbacks, ever. Than that. I, I do. I think it was the greatest NFL game ever played. I, really, I, I think I even said that at one point on the podcast right after the game. I, I feel that way still. It's just absolutely incredible. And, you know, to, to have been there, I felt really was really special. Um, but I think you're right. The, the defenses, the Chiefs defense did a pretty good, like, you know, you get that one of the, obviously the advantages and shout out to Ryan O'Rourke. You guys are the best off season Chiefs content. Keep it, keep yes. it up. Thank Thank you, as a appreciate, appreciate you, Ryan, so much. You know, we, a big benefit of being there at the game is you get that all 22 view of everything that's happening. And so you can see a little bit more than you can on TV and you, my heart kind of went out to the Chiefs defense because that Bills offense, the way that they were running it, is just really hard to stop. I mean, even if you do everything right, and there were so many plays where the Chiefs did do everything right. They filled their gaps. They stuck to their man. There was nowhere to throw the ball. It just The X factor of Allen running and his size to, to try to take him down really, really helped tilt things in Buffalo's favor in that game. And, and, and they had a lot of really smart design runs and things. They were really utilizing him in that game, and he was going for it. It was a playoff game. And so, you know, hats off to, to the Bills and Josh Allen in that game. Man, did, I, I don't know if I could live with myself after that game. Like, what's Josh Allen going to do? You know, you did everything he could. Everything he could. When you really look at it. Those quarterbacks both led their teams in rushing that night. 
Right. I mean, it would look, you could play a million games you'll never see. You'll never see two quarterbacks both play better in the same game than those two. I mean, it was it was extraordinary how great both of them were. There are so many plays in that game that get forgotten because you just can't remember them all. I mean, the, the throw that Mahomes made, I think it was the second quarter to Pringle for a touchdown. It was an unbelievable throw. He's getting hit by two guys, throwing off his back foot, yeah. hits him in the end zone. It's impossible to overstate how great that game was. I mean, it really, like, I very rarely ever feel bad for teams or for players after they lose in the NFL. Like, these guys are getting paid. It's their job. It's perfect. You know, whatever. I actually, I felt bad for the Bills after that game. That game, nobody should have lost that football game. And you know what? It, it's funny, though. I was thinking about this here that I don't know why, but I was thinking about at the end of, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, the Chiefs, what it meant to say, well, that's the Chiefs. So it was not a good thing. It was always so frustrating. They would, they would blow some game in the playoffs or they'd lose some stupid game to a bad team in the regular season. And that that game, like, that is the epitome of now what it means to be like, well, that's, that's Mahomes. That's the Chiefs. Like, you know, I mean – with 13 seconds, and I think, by the way, I think that flipped in that 2019 game against Houston in the playoffs. I think that's when everything changed. Yeah. But, you know, which you were also there for that game. I, I mean, I think you look back at that game in January, and it's 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 a weird thing to say because I won't lie. Like, when, when the Bills took the lead with 13 seconds left, yeah, I thought the Chiefs were going to lose. But the second they completed that first pass to Hill for 19 yards and called timeout, I had a genuine belief that they were going to at least have a shot to kick field goal. Like I, I really truly believe Mahomes is going to complete a ball for 15 yards. That you know, and I thought Bucker might have to kick one in from 57, 58 yards, but I thought they'd have a shot. And then of course, you know, they do what they do. And Kelsey calls essentially his own number on an audible, and Mahomes is cool with it. And 25 yards up the seam, and now it's a field goal that Butker should hit. It's still long, 48 yards, but he should hit it, and he did. It's just that game was just absolutely fascinating from start to finish. It was a great game all the way through. I, I absolutely think it's the best football game I've ever seen. And it speaks to the brilliance of Travis Kelsey. You know, what 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 makes what he not just what he does on the field, but what what he's what's what he's got going on upstairs. And and that's just that's just one clip that we saw. How many times throughout the course of the season do you think Kelsey figures something out like that, relays it to Mahomes? That's that's why it matters having good, smart football players around your quarterback. It's it, you know, it's a quarterback league. Quarterback's going to be the reason why you win or lose in, in in a lot of cases. But if you can surround him with other smart people and you get that's what that's what they, people mean when they talk about chemistry. And you know what? And Alan, I see your comment about the Alan went against the twenty fifth defense. And look, he was at Arrowhead in a playoff game. That place was going nuts, and they they were not a bad defense the second half of that season. Like that that's one thing I want to buy by. That that's not it's not fair. They were they were now you want to say Honey Badger went out fair enough, but Tre'Davious White wasn't there either. It was even up. Both teams were missing star guys. It's not fair to, to say that. Like the, the, Allen was on the road, Mahomes wasn't. Okay, Allen Allen was every bit as great as Mahomes in that game. It's not fair to sit there and say, "Well, Allen doesn't deserve." Yes, he does. Allen deserves every bit of, of of kudos you want to throw at him for that game. Now, you want to sit there and say Mahomes is a better player? I would agree. He's more consistent. Okay, if you look at their their careers, Mahomes has been more consistent. And hey, they played in two playoff games, and Mahomes has beaten them twice. One time they absolutely eviscerated him. The other time it was a classic. But I, but I got to be fair. It's not it's not fair to denigrate what Allen did in that game. Allen was un. There's not another player in the league who would have kept his team in that game. Maybe Rodgers, maybe. 
that's the only other guy. Look, I have the utmost respect for Brady. Brady's not playing that game. No, not the way those two guys were gunning it up and down the field. I think I think the world of Burrow and Herbert. I don't think either one of those guys keeps him in the game for that to that extent. I just don't. I mean, not not without making one mistake. Without, I mean, they, those guys had to be absolutely perfect all night to have any shot to win, and both of them were. Both of them were perfect all night long. I mean, let's look, let's call a spade a spade. If the Bills don't crap their pants with 13 seconds left, Allen wins that game. Yep. And it is a seminal moment for him. Yeah. You can't change his performance based on the fact that after he left the field for the final time, his team crapped its pants, lost a toss, and then, look, the, the most fate complete thing ever, once the Chiefs won the toss, you knew they were going down and scoring. And yeah. they did. Now, that's not take away from Mahomes. Mahomes was, un, was a demigod in the game, but so was Allen. The Chiefs just happened to have the last word. And, you know, it, it, that's what made it one of the greatest, if not the greatest games ever. Yeah, the Bills the Bills scored 483 points last year. You know, there's no taking anything away from from that offense or the performance that they had with Allen last year. There, was their defense better than the Chiefs? Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a it, you know, you can say, well, I think what you can do, Allen, is you can point to Patrick Mahomes and say that dude's just a bad man. Because it doesn't, it, it, it's almost, it almost doesn't matter as long as as long as he's got a fighting chance, which like he, we he didn't in the Super Bowl against the Bucks. As long as he's got a fighting chance, you're in it. And I think that's it. Re- it really speaks more to Mahomes and his greatness than it does to take anything away from Allen. Yeah, great game. And that actually kind of uh, we're going to talk in just a minute about sort of non like non AFC West rivals. Um, but before we get to that, I want to touch on CEH really quickly. And I know we've talked a lot about Clyde in the last couple of weeks and, and all that stuff, but he did have a really interesting quote uh, via Nate Taylor of The Athletic this week. And he said, this offseason is pretty much getting back to the basics, being able to have a full offseason. That was one thing, and this was the really interesting part for me, that was one of the things that Coach Reed and I talked about. He said, Andy Reed said to Clyde, this is really your first real offseason in the NFL. And then Clyde continued, really, health was the biggest thing. Now, if you didn't know, we've talked about it on the podcast, Clyde came into camp with COVID, right, as a rookie. All of his first meetings and all that stuff, learning the offense, were virtual before they got to camp. And then right after the season, his rookie season, he had gallbladder surgery, lost a ton of weight. And then last year, he dealt with injuries. So, that doesn't mean he's going to be great this year because he had an off season. Um, it doesn't change some of the issues maybe we, he has at times with his vision and those types of things. But I thought it was interesting, the quote from Andy Reid, acknowledging sort of like it hasn't been the easiest road for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. What's your take on that, Verderam? Do you, do you expect any kind of change now that he does have the chance to, to really have a full off season and come in healthy and strong? I got to see it to believe it. I got to see it to believe it. You know what, man? I, every year there's like six guys on every team that they're in the best shape of their lives. And, you know, I, this year I ran on the sand like in Rocky. Like, okay, you know, like I, I, and like, I'm not, I'm not crapping on him. Maybe, maybe, man, he comes out and he's gangbusters. And God knows we're all rooting for that. I mean, I, I hope he does. And I think, look, I, I've always landed this way on Clyde. I do not think he's lived up to his billing by any stretch. I also think people go way too far on People treat him like he just flat out can't play football. And he that's not true. Like he's actually been somewhat like he's been a pretty productive player. He just hasn't been worth a first round pick. And so look, to be fair, I don't think any running backs worth the first round pick of all the Veach drafts. And, and look, Veach has done a great job. That's the one pick I, I kind of look at and go, I don't I don't know that that was maybe the smartest move in the world. Although at the time I got it, like they were coming off Super Bowl and 
what do you take? And I get it. You certainly hindsight, you say, well, I could have gone some other way. I don't think he's ever going to live up to the first round pick. But, you know, look, he's young, and I, I will always defend him with one thing. I do not think they've ever used him the way he should be used. Ever. They should put him in the screen game more. They should they should they should do more things in the passing game with him. They've never utilized him the way I thought they'd utilize him when he got drafted. So in that regard, I think he's kind of gotten the, the raw end of the deal. On the flip side, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who's a pro bowler. I don't. I hope I'm wrong, but that's how I feel. There was one, and yeah, look, time will tell on CEH. I'm excited to see him. This is a, a big year for him, uh, and I hope he, he shows up. But there was one other thing he said. There was one other nugget in this article uh, that Nate Taylor wrote on The Athletic. And again, if you're going to, like, you know, if you don't subscribe to the, uh, the Athletic and you're a Chiefs fan, you should subscribe just to get Nate's work. It's worth it. Uh, Great dude is one of the best dudes yeah. that covers NFL. Every time we're on the road to hang out, Nate's a great guy. This is a really interesting nugget from this. So this was another quote from from Edwards Alaire, and he said, um, "The great thing about this offense is that you can stick anybody anywhere, as long as we know as long as we know what we're doing and executing. It can be unmatched. Speaking of the offense, depending on our matchups, I can line up from the one, two, three, or four spot at the line of scrimmage and run any route. And then he said, Travis Kelsey can do the same thing from MVS to Juju to McColl." It just shows that you, it just shows you that we can be as versatile as we want. And then he said, it's not the same thing that opposing defenses have been seeing the last six years. What's different from the team right now than it was for the last six years? And that is no Tyreek Hill. What do you make of that? You know, this is coming from, I just think it's interesting. This is coming from Clyde. He's thinking about the offense this year. Versus the last six years, Clyde Edwards-Alaire hasn't even been on the team for six years, right? So where is he getting that from? He's hearing it from somebody else, right? What's your take on that, Verter? That was definitely my first thought was that's probably coming out of the coaching staff's mouths because who's been there for six years? The coaching staff and Travis Kelsey. (laughs) That's the list. That's it. So, yes, look. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near what we've seen in recent years in terms of the way they play offense. And I got to tell you, that's not the worst thing because last year they were slamming their head into a brick wall at times. It got to a point where teams just said, look, you're not going to play that way anymore. You're just not going to do it. The Chiefs are, are an outlier and a unicorn in one, in one way. And I'll kind of rely on my historical love of football for this. You know, the Rams, when they were the greatest show on turf in the late 90s and early 2000s, everybody remembers those offenses. But those offenses were gone in a couple of years. Warner got hurt. They traded him. Falk, you know, was was at the end of his peak by the end of that. You know, NFL defenses basically saw that group for three years. And that was it. You know, they... You think about the Chargers and Air Coriel, like that that group was together for a couple of years, and that was it. The, the Niners in the 80s are probably the best sustained offense ever, but if you look at the Niners in the 80s, the Super Bowls that they won in 81 and 84, other than the fact that, of course, Montana was there for the next two, were almost completely different. Jerry Rice was not on those first couple of, of teams. Uh, Roger Craig was there in age 84, but was a really young guy, and they still had Wendell Tyler. They didn't have Brent Jones. They didn't have John Taylor in 84. They were a totally different team by 88 and 89 when they had Tom Rathman and all these other guys I just mentioned. The NFL adjusted to the 49ers and the 49ers in 85, 86, and 87 with all the guys that they had on those teams didn't win one playoff game any of those three years. Didn't win a playoff game. And then they, you know, they, they adjusted and they changed. And I think, you know, with the Chiefs, they've had the same group now for four years straight. 
And that fourth year was a year where they, no, they still were one of the best offenses in football, but it became defenses literally saying, we are going to put safeties 25 yards off the line of scrimmage. You're not beating us like this anymore. That's the end of this. The Chiefs effectiveness with that group ran its course. Now you bring in a whole different group. And I know people say, well, that now it's different. Well, look at the Patriots all those years. They were a run-heavy defense first team. Then they became Moss and Welker. They didn't win a Super Bowl with that group. Moss and Welker never won a Super Bowl there. Then they go to the two tight end stuff with Hernandez and with Gronk. And then and then they added, you know, Amendola and Edelman. And of course they found success there. Of course, Hernandez not not winning a Super Bowl as he as he killed somebody. But I think, you know, the point being the great teams that last a long period of time, they change. They change constantly. I mean, that's just that's the way it is. The only team I could really think of in the in the salary cap era that changed or that didn't change and won consistently was Dallas, three and four. And I was right in that kind of overlap, the, the non-salary and, and current salary cap era. It's hard. So the Chiefs are going to be a much different offense. I think you're going to see more Vandy Reed's roots, which are the West Coast offense. You're going to see a lot of, hey, look, we're going to hit guys in the hands and we're going to let them run after the catch. We're going to run some more of the screen game. You know, we're going to, we're going to play that way. I Honestly, I, I think that's a good thing. I really do. Now, I, I think it'll look different and you're going to miss the explosive 70-yard slant route to Tyreek Hill. But I, I honestly do think for them, in terms of winning a Super Bowl, it might not be the worst thing. I agree, man. I, I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. They, they're going to have to do it, especially with the personnel that they have. And I think that's part of the deal, too, is, is staying one step ahead of the rest of the league. Andy Reid's usually been pretty good at that. So now he's going to make another adjustment. I wanted to ask you, and shout out to um, our guy Graham Harper, says great pot again, guys here from Edinburgh, Scotland. One of our uh, one of our colleagues is coming to Scotland. He's in Scotland right now on vacation. Uh, probably just landed yesterday or today. So I've got to get there myself. I've never been. Do you think this is going to be really good for Mahomes? You know, the Chiefs have loaded up on big-bodied receivers, blockers, those types of things, to maybe run some of this traditional West Coast offense that, as you mentioned, was Andy Reid's roots. And it's one of the things, right, that makes Brady so great is that he's not always going out there and overwhelming you with his physical gifts. Like, we know that Mahomes has a better arm, right? He can move better than Brady. Um, But Brady would go out there and just – he just always knows where he's going with the ball. He's pinpoint accurate, and that really matters – in a West Coast system because you're trying to get run after the catch. Do you think this will be good for Mahomes in that it was, I don't want to say easy, but when he came into the league, the Chiefs really leaned into the things that he was already really good at, his athleticism, his big arm, the deep ball. Do you think that this will sort of help take his skill set to a new level if he has to be a little bit more patient, spend a little more time reading those defenses so it's not all off-platform stuff, which we know he can do. Does, does does his career and his efficiency take a jump this season? Well, yeah, I think it probably does. And you know what? You're right with everything you said. But people, like, and this is what, I know you're not doing this, so I'm not pointing it at you, but people drive me crazy who do this when they, they say it on Twitter. And they're like mainstream people do this. Drives me out of my mind. Well, you know, Brady, you know, he's he's just, you know, more intelligent, more efficient quarterback than, than you know, guys like Mahomes and Allen. Yeah, well, no shit. He's 45 years old. I'd hope he is. I mean, when, when Brady was 26, he was benefiting massively from a great defense and a running game. That's what Brady was doing at 26 years old. Like, that's reality. I think sometimes people get so like, it's like an apples to apples thing. Brady in 2020 to Mahomes. He's got 20 years on him. Mahomes could be his kid. Right. Like, you know, it's a lot of experience. It's yeah. Like same thing with Rogers, by the way. Like, oh well, Rogers made a throw that Mahomes wouldn't have seen. Well, geez, I'd hope so. He's been in the league for 15 more years. 
Yeah. I, I would hope that Rodgers could see that throw a little bit quicker than the guy who's 26. I think it's good for Mahomes from the standpoint of they are going to have to change the way they play, and therefore he is going to have to change. Now, I will also say I think he did change the second half of last season. Yeah. They started to do that, and it's no coincidence that when they start to do that, they score 35 points a game. There is this false correlation between that you've got to get chunk plays all the time to score a bunch of points, and it's just it's not true. Now, it makes it easier, and for the record, they're still going to get chunk plays because eventually what happens, you keep hitting guys for seven, nine, ten-yard passes. At some point, a defensive coordinator is going to say, guys, we got to, we got to choke these off. we got to rob the middle of the field. we got to roll up and play man. we got to play press. We can't let him beat us. And then all of a sudden, you miss a press on Mar- on, on Marquez Valdez-Scantling or McCall Hardman, and they're gone. You know, or you're or you're so occupied with trying to guard the boundary that Kelsey runs up the seam for a 40-yard pass. That that's the sport. That's the essence of football. I, I think sometimes it's it is this mentality. Look, if you look at Joe Montana's career, he never had the strongest arm in football. He never had a big arm. His arm was okay. He was incredibly accurate and he was brilliant. And he played for a brilliant head coach, and he had incredible weapons around him. Yeah. And I mean, Dan Marino had way more physical talent than Joe Montana did. And, Joe, and look, Marino was a great player, but he never got over the hump, partially because of the team around him. But I, I would point that with Mahomes, do I think Mahomes can be a little bit more of a surgeon? Yeah, and I think he, I think he proved that second half of last season. In fact, I look at that Bills game we just talked about. It. How many deep balls did he throw in that game? I can't think of one. No. I can't think of one ball that he threw deep in that football game. He yeah. didn't have to. And, you know, that's where I do think you're going to see more of that this year. I'd like to see a little more running the football with that offensive line. I'd like to see a little bit more of the screen game. But you know what I'd really like to see? The Chiefs scoring 30-plus a game, which I think they're going to do. And however they do it, fine. Just do it. Our guy Twin says, checking in from Sweden, midnight here. God bless you. Watching watching these two mugs at midnight? That's sorry definitely. for the Sorry for the nightmares. I was going to say Turn yourself to sleep, hopefully with KC Beer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Thomas Cole says, when can we talk about Joe Shiesty? Actually, r- right now, I think he'll probably, uh, and the Bengals will come up. Um, but just real quick, if you like the Arrowhead Attic podcast, please consider becoming a member of the Arrowhead Attic family. Members get access to special emojis and loyalty badges they can use during the live YouTube streams like this one. And they also get private uh, invitations to the private Discord where they can hang out with the AA hosts, talk Chiefs football, movies, beer, so much more. Um, We also host private events for our members like virtual happy hours, trivia. It's a great time. So we appreciate your support. Link in the description if you're interested. And uh, you want to be on board, I'm telling you, for football season. You know, you got to get your spots now because it's going to fill up. Absolutely. Come for football and stay. I, I was literally looking at my parents' window right now. We're talking. All of a sudden, just this man just started wandering across my parents' lawn. It was my dad. And I used to see him just in the yard. Like, it, you know what? By the way, uh, I appreciate Thomas Cole's been here. He's been he's been chatting it up, I'm assuming, based off his commentary. He's a Bengals fan, which, by the way, Thomas, you should be excited as well. Get out. I know we're going to get into that in a second, so I won't go too far. But I do want to mention real quick something we didn't touch on, which is fine. It's a cheese pot. I'll get into plenty of this, I'm sure, on Stack in the Box on Tuesday. Kyler Murray signed an extension today. Five years, $230.5 million. By the way, the .5 kills me. Like, they wanted to make sure they got .5 more than, than Deshaun Watson. Like, got to get that extra hundred grand a year. Like, that killed me. But in any event, that contract is very instructive because because you only got 160 guaranteed with, you know, I get it, only 160 million guaranteed. But he didn't get a fully guaranteed contract. A lot of people thought after this Deshaun Watson deal, he might. People were very curious in the NFL. Other front offices are very curious to see how Arizona handled that. 
They didn't give a fully guaranteed deal. That is going to be fascinating now with Lamar Jackson as he tries to sign a new deal. Does he sit there and say, hey, look, I don't care what Kyler Murray did. I want to negotiate off of Watson's deal while the Ravens sit there and say, no, 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 no. The most recent contract was Murray. And that is that is how we're going to, to negotiate. We're not going to worry about Watson. He was signed by an idiotic franchise that was desperate. We're not going to negotiate off that. It's a one-off. The reason I bring all this up, I want to talk about Joe Shiesty, a.k.a. Joe Burrow. I talked to three different agents, prominent ones, a month ago and asked, and this was after the Watson deal, of course, if you rep Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert, what would you ask for? And each one of them independently said, I'd ask for $55 million a year. Well, after watching Murray, who is far less accomplished than Joe Burrow, get 46 and a half, I think you better be ready to pay north of $50 million a year for Joe Burrow. That's coming. If he has a really good year, and it's going to be fascinating to see what the Bengals do, because we talked at the beginning, I don't know if Thomas, you were here, we talked about the fact that the Bengals, let's call it what it was, they lowballed Jesse Bates. I mean, a five-year deal with 17 million guaranteed is a flat-out lowball. It's insulting. Okay, that should have started with the price of two tags, which in Bates' case would have been about 28, 29 million dollars guaranteed, and then you add on more as that deal goes longer. They should have guaranteed the third year. He should have, he should have been looking at about 35 million guaranteed. They're over 17. They didn't offer half what he should have been looking at. The Bengals are going to have to shell out an ungodly amount of money for Joe Burrow. And I did the homework on this over the last two years in free agency. The Bengals spent 250.75 million on name free agents. And I'm not including, you know, early restricted guys, just name free agents. Of that 200 and almost 51 million, less than 75 million was guaranteed. They are going to have to guarantee Burrow probably anywhere around or north of $200 million. And when they do it, when you guarantee a contract, that guaranteed portion has to go in escrow. You have to have that liquid. And one of the agents I spoke to thought that the Bengals, and he wasn't saying this as a dick, he just thought it was the truth, would have to go to a bank to get a loan to pay Joe Burrow's escrow money. That is, uh, I think they'll pay him. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting I don't think they will, but that is going to be a fascinating negotiation. Do they just give him what he wants? Does this get, does this get ugly and dirty for a couple of years while they, they have control? It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, excited to see how that pans out. It helps to have a billionaire ownership group. Um, so let's get to the title of this podcast before we get out of here. And that is a new power ranking segment. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to, we always talk about which AFC West teams we despise the most, who are the biggest rivalries. We've gone over that in this podcast, but what about the non AFC West rivals? And I'm not just talking AFC. It can be NFC here. It's a little bit harder to get a rivalry going with an NFC team, but it can happen. So I wanted to get Verram your, your top three chiefs, non-AFC West rivals. Before you go, I'm going to go first. Far away. And uh, we'll see how mine stacks up against yours. So for number three, I put the Bucks here. And and I'm thinking about, I'm not thinking so much as much about the past. I'm thinking about recent times and into the future, right? And so I put the Bucks because, look, man, the Chiefs lost a Super Bowl to them. They had that game that season where the Chiefs kind of embarrassed them and Tyreek Hill was on the phone and saying help is on the way. And then the Super Bowl happened and the Bucs wiped the floor with the Chiefs. So that's that's tough. Losing a Super Bowl to a team is tough. And now this year, Brady's back. The Chiefs play the Bucs. And I think there's a good chance we see Chiefs-Bucs, too, in the Super Bowl. Um, it's going to be tough for the Chiefs to get there, but I, 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 I think it's a little bit easier road for the Bucs. So I put the Bucs at number three because of that Brady-Mahomes thing, and I'm hoping that uh, Mahomes can even things up here this year. Number two, I'm putting the Bills at two. I had a very big inclination to put the Bills at one, but I'm putting them at two just for the simple fact that they've beaten the Chiefs once with this current group and with Allen and not in a game that, you know, not in the playoffs. 
So it's a little bit harder to, when I think of a rivalry as a fan, what makes my, like, which teams make my blood boil the most, you know, when I hear it, when I hear their names. And it's kind of like, I have some respect for the Bills, and it's a lot easier to respect a team when your team usually beats them, right? Um, Oh, yeah, those guys are good. They're just not as good as our guys. So I got the Bills at number two. That could be changing. If, if they're able to get over the, the Chiefs hump in the playoffs, let's hope that that doesn't happen. And number one, it's got to be for me, to, to our guy in the chat, Thomas Cole, the Cincinnati Bengals. For me, that's the number one non-AFC West rival for the Chiefs. They, they lost to them twice last year. The Bengals cost the Chiefs and the Chiefs cost themselves a chance to go to the Super Bowl again. I think the Chiefs had a really good chance to win that Super Bowl. So for me right now, there's no team on my, on my list that I want to see the Chiefs take care of more than the Cincinnati Bengals and your guy, Joe Shiesty. So that, that's my list. What do you think, Rory? Fair. I don't have any of those teams in any of those spots. So uh, okay. we'll be different. Three is kind of hard for me. You know, I think historically you'd be like, well, the Colts or the Pats or whatever, but I, I don't I don't feel that way at this point. For me, it's Baltimore. Yeah. You know, Jackson and Mahomes has been such a storyline for years. And, and look, I for me, for a rivalry, I have to respect you. Like, like, this is going to come off as controversial, like maybe, or maybe, oh, in this chat, maybe everybody will agree with me. Like, I don't respect the Raiders. I mean, they're a rival of the Chiefs because of, like, the historical significance and they're in the division. But, like, at no point in time am I ever like, oh, no, the Raiders are coming. Like, yeah. that's nice. I, I don't care. I, I think Baltimore, you know, the, the Chiefs have played some really fun, exciting games with them. They haven't seen them in the playoffs, but they've seen them on an annual basis. And every time they get together, it's a great game. It's always, you know, I mean, I know the one game the Chiefs blew them out. Uh, in, back in 2020, but I, I think I think for me that's number three. Number two for me is Cincinnati. Look, I don't mean this as disrespectful to the Bengals because I am one of the people. For record, I think the Bengals are going to be really, really good again this year. I think they're a legit contender. I don't think they're going anywhere as long as they're willing to pay their players the next couple of years. Like I, I don't, I don't buy for two seconds. You know, these these people who are like they're going to go seven and ten this year. No, they're not. That team is way too talented. I have a lot of respect for Zach Taylor. The defense is underrated. Cincinnati is a hell of a football team. I, but I, but the reason I say I hope people don't see this as disrespectful to them. I felt like in both of those games against Kansas City last year, the Chiefs just beat themselves. Like I don't mean to take anything away from Cincinnati. Burrow didn't even play particularly well in the in the AFC title game. He threw a pick in the fourth quarter. I thought his best plays, honestly, in that game were his ability to scramble and extend drives. Yeah, that is where I give him a lot of credit. I thought passing the ball, he was kind of whatever. I thought their defense was the reason they won that game. But the Chiefs just the Chiefs just pissed down their leg in both those games. I mean, if the Chiefs even played reasonably to expectation in both those games, I think they would have won them both. But I do think the Bengals are are really, really good. And so I have them at two. And and a one I have Buffalo. I think right now it's the best rivalry in football. I, I really do. I mean, those, it's to me, it's the two quarterbacks going forward who are are the faces of the fran- and by of the, of the league. And by the way, I think Burrow's right in that conversation. Like Burrow is like two A for me. He's right there. And I, and I will say this separately. I you know, you and I were fortunate enough, we covered the Super Bowl this this past February. I got to talk to Burrow after the game. Immense respect for him. He sat there, he answered every question. I, I think I think he's He's first class, and he's a hell of a player. But I think the Bills, to me, even though the Chiefs have beaten him twice in the playoffs the last two years, I think they're the biggest threat. I think those are the two best teams in football. I, I really do. I think Buffalo right now has the Chiefs edged out a little bit. But I will say it's weird. Normally, like a rivalry, you know, you hate the Raiders. You hate the Broncos. I actually, like, if the Chiefs aren't involved, the Chiefs lose in a playoff game or something, I find myself really – in a way, pulling for Buffalo and Cincinnati because those franchises are so similar to what Kansas City was before the Chiefs won a Super Bowl. 
just tortured, you know, and it's cold weather and these fans show up in December and they're hopeful. Like Bills fans are great fans. Bengals fans for years didn't have a reason to fill the building. But like the people who are Bengals fans, there's no bandwagon Cincinnati fan. And you and I were at the Super Bowl. That place in Los Angeles against the Rams, there were way more, way more Bengals fans than there were Rams fans. So it's so easy to look at at the Bengals and Bills and say if they're not playing the Chiefs, they're a hell of a lot easier to root for than some of these other teams we're going to talk about. Yeah, I agree. And and at the Super Bowl, we've mentioned this on the podcast before. Not just the the uh, it was the spirit, not the size of the Bengals fans that were at the Super Bowl. They like anytime you went anywhere in the concourses, the bathroom, they were cheering, chanting like they were at home. And you just didn't get any of that from from the Rams fans. No offense to any Rams fans that might hear this, you know, uh, but that's just that's I was there. That's that was my interpretation of the crowd. And they were just like, got those those fans were gutted after losing that. I game. mean, the upper deck was just it was pretty much all Bengals fans. Yeah. It yeah. was funny because like the wine and cheese crowd, the Rams fans down in LA, like they were all in the lower bowl. The loudest that game was all night long was that T. Higgins touchdown catch at the beginning of the third quarter. Yeah. The place was going insane. Well, that in the halftime show. The halftime show got the place rocking pretty good. Yeah. But uh and we know that it was loud up there because they, me and Verderam, but at least they let us in the building. But God knows we were about as high up as you could get in the corner. <laughs> yeah, we were in the auxiliary because they, they, you know, for the Super Bowl, they have such press credential crush. You know, it's such a crush of press credentials that they, they had the press box, and that's mainly reserved for like NFL Network, ESPN, you know. And then everybody else they put in the auxiliary press box, which is up in the corner, which actually is a great spot because you can you get a great view of the field. Um, oh yeah, gorgeous. This year it'll be in Glendale, so uh, be in Arizona this year. Up in uh, the what, what the hell is that place called? The University of Phoenix Stadium. I think maybe yeah. they changed the name now, but yeah, uh, Glendale. You know, we got some good tricks because it's, it's Glendale, and then it's Vegas, and then it's New Orleans. So I'm I'm pumped. I'm ready to go for next week, <laughs> especially <laughs> Vegas and New Orleans. I'm ready to go. Vegas will be out of control. Before we get out of here, we got a couple of listener reviews that I don't think we've gotten to. Sorry, I missed some of these. Um, you guys are doing a great job bringing the reviews over on Apple Podcasts. Leave us five stars. Leave us a written review and ask us a question. We'll answer it on the podcast. By the way, shout out to our new member. Join during this uh, during this podcast. Um, Team OMB. We'll see you in the Discord, man. Get signed up with that. Um, appreciate your support, man. It's awesome. Uh, we're excited to have you for the season. Okay, so listener review. This one's from Duffman388 uh, from July 3rd. Long time coming. I've been listening to these beauties. I want to. I want you to know that beauties is in quotes um, for a couple of years. Thoroughly enjoy their content. Love the different takes and topic slash discussions that go on. I want to jump into. Uh, I just want to jump into the chat. Since you, since you read these, I want Verderam's honest opinion on Mahomes. We all think he's great, but how great can, uh, how great is he slash can he be in your opinion? Will he be an all-timer? Thanks for the content. Uh, Brooklyn Corner Chiefs, North NS, Canada. I don't know what that means. Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. There we go. Um, I know my Canadian geography. I'm a hockey yeah. fan. Oh, I, I don't think there's any question he can be an all-timer. I mean, I think it's already he's an all-time talent. I think it's actually fascinating. Like, if he, God forbid, he retired tomorrow, I think he'd have a real shot at going to the Hall of Fame. Like, I, re- I really think there'd be a full-blown discussion as to whether or not he belongs. Yeah, no, I think, look, it's hard because do I think he's going to win as many, do I think he's going to win as many titles as a Brady? No. 
But Michael Jordan didn't win, didn't win his main titles as Bill Russell. Brady is more Bill Russell to me. He's the greatest winner in NFL history. But I don't think Brady is the the unbelievable talent that Rodgers is, that Mahomes is, um, that Marino was, that Moon was. Now, you would take Brady, of course, in his career over all those guys for now. But I got to say, I think I think Mahomes, if he, if he ends up winning three to four Super Bowls and goes to five or six of them, you're going to have a lot of people who probably say he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, now, now look, we're four years in. Okay, I, there's so much to, that we don't know. Or five years, I guess, technically, but you get the idea. There's so much we don't know. But if he wins a handful of more titles and plays like this for 10 to 12 more years, oh, I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And then it's just a question of where do you rank him? But yeah, I think he's clearly on a trajectory that he'll be a top 10 quarterback, maybe even higher, maybe top five, maybe, maybe best. You don't know. But I think, yes, the answer to the question, yes. I think he will be an all-time hallowed name in the NFL. Yes. I think this is a big year for Mahomes. You know, what he's done in the first half of his career, there's all this ch- the, the chatter about, you know, hey, win as much as you can on the first contract. People like to point at Russell Wilson. I think if you're a Chiefs fan, you don't want Patrick's career to turn out like Wilson's has to this point where, you know. One title, two. two. Y- yeah, you had a couple chances really early on. And, you know, and then people can say, oh, well, once the, you know, you know, once the first contract was over and they had to pay you. Well, Mahomes has a chance here with Tyree Kill going. And this was a big move by Brett Veach this offseason. Huge. I mean, he made some moves to, to move on from Tyree Kill and to say, he's saying with that move, I believe in my guy, Patrick Mahomes. And I believe he can elevate other great players or good players and keep winning no matter what. And this is, this is you know, look, if Mahomes' career were to end right now, the lasting image that like the last thing that we'd remember about Mahomes was he kind of he he kind of shit the bed at the end of that game against the Bengals. Like there's just no other way to put it. He had a chance yeah. to win the game, and that was the last thing that happened. And he he missed some open guys and made some bad plays. No doubt. But I will say this. Um, and I know we're running late, so I'll, I'll be brief. I think that's true, but the enduring image of Mahomes, at least at this point, is his otherworldly ability to make plays that nobody else can make. Sure. You know, like you're gonna he has already put forth like an all-time highlight reel, and he's 26 yes. years old. Yeah. I mean, what he's done – and you know what else matters, too? He's won an MVP. He's a first-team All-Pro. He's made Pro Bowl every year of his career. That stuff matters. Like, at the end of his career, if he's a two- or three-time MVP, and he's won – you know, he's got the 12 Pro Bowls. He's a six-time first-team All-Pro. Like, you know that Matt Stafford's whole career has been the one Pro Bowl? Like, that stuff matters. That stuff really matters. Uh, and yes, both of you guys are right. I, it actually will be brief because that's all I have to say because it is six twelve Eastern. <laughs> but I, the point the point is that he is he's on a on a on a scale that I don't think many guys have ever been on. Yeah, I, I agree, and 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 hopefully this year he's able to go out there and and I think I think this just would be a really great legacy defining season for him if he can go out there and win another Super Bowl. Right after they ship Tyree Kill out, like after that, it's no doubt or Hall of Fame, all that stuff. And then everything else can kind of be gravy for him the rest of the way. Okay, there are two more views to get to really quickly. Brad, uh, the Red Raven on July 6th says, I'm addicted to Arrowhead Addict. I started listening in October and I haven't missed an episode since. Five stars for this interesting, analytical and fun podcast. This is where I think things take. They might have read this on the Tuesday show. And I've seen Matt Connor in the chat. I think this might be him, perhaps his wife. Listen to this program. 
Love the Tuesday show, and I know why Sterling's hair looks the way it does. Matt Connor mops the floor with it for a solid hour each week. Wow. Sterling, buddy, just look pretty, smile, wave, and follow Matt's lead as he is a football god, and we are just mere mortals in his presence. The Thursday, 100% Matt Connor. Right, that was Matt Connor, either Matt Connor, Matt Connor's wife, Matt Connor's mom, uh, somebody Matt Connor paid a handsome sum of money to, or yeah. Dark Horse here, scorned ex of Sterling Holmes. I mean, somebody's got an axe to grind with Sterling. That would be amazing if that ended up being the case. Right. Who's the so, nicest so some guy? girl that he, you, know, he, he screwed over in like college. Uh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, just um, the Thursday show is my favorite. Matt Verderham is very knowledgeable, not only on the Chiefs, but the entire NFL. I joined Twitter just to follow Matt for his reporting. Patrick Allen is the forever optimist that keeps the show positive and interesting. Nothing beats his go Chiefs at the end of the podcast. Keep it up. Uh, the good work. I'm looking forward to your coverage during training camp in the upcoming season. Appreciate you. And the last one here uh, from Chiefs North on July 14th. Awesome. I've been a Chiefs fan since I was a kid, over 40 years, but I live in New England. Finding this podcast made me feel like I could actually connect, relate, suffer, and rejoice with other Chiefs fans. You guys are awesome. Thank you. And you know what, uh, Chief North? That's why we're here, man. Like That's yeah. what's so fun about doing this podcast, hanging out with you guys in the Discord, all of these things. It really, really is a great way to connect with you all and other Chiefs fans. It's what's been so enriching for me since I got into this industry to cover the Chiefs. And Matt got into this industry to cover the Chiefs. And then we got to expand in our careers and do other things in sports. It's pretty awesome. And that's because of people like you. So we appreciate your support. We appreciate those kinds of messages. If you want to hear us read, you know, you want to talk smack on Sterling or, you know, if there's a rebuttal for to oh, Matt, yeah, Connor, somebody, somebody out there has got to defend Sterling. Um, just that's true. mops the floor. Said he called him a football god. It's amazing. I mean, it's so far over the top. It's so aggressive. Yeah, I love a, it. I love it. Absolutely um, incredible. By the way, real quick, we didn't we didn't talk about this at all, and it, it happened today, and, and um, we didn't have it on the rundown. Uh, Jim Lynch, uh, former Kansas City Chiefs great, a linebacker, won Super Bowl four for them. He was with William Lanier and Bobby Bell. He passed away, and wow. so I just want to say RIP to Jim Lynch. Lynch is criminally underrated. Pro Bowler, the Notre Dame grad, when I, the Notre Dame player, I don't know if he graduated, but Notre Dame star who played for the Chiefs for about a decade. Jim Lynch was a hell of a football player. And he gets overshadowed because he played next to two all-time greats, Lanier and Bell. But he was a huge part of the 69 title team. Um, and just wanted, just wanted to mention him uh, as, as we're getting ready to sign off. I believe a member of the Chiefs Hall of Fame, certainly the Ring of Honor, uh, deserves to be remembered. Was, was a great player and, from all accounts, a great guy. So uh, RIP to him and uh, condolences to his family. Yeah, rest in peace and condolences. All right, everybody. Somebody says, uh, Raymond says, someone sent a case of Casey Beer to this Casey expat down here in Birmingham. Listen, I'm not encouraging anyone to, to, to break any, you know, make sure you check your state's laws. And all of those types of things, but uh, you know, or don't you know, whatever. Yeah, it's up to you. But uh, yeah, KC beer uh, is absolutely fantastic. You got to find a way to get it if you can, um, and hopefully it'll be distributing wider soon. Uh, newer brewery been around since 2016, so um, give them some time. Uh, you know, building the business is not easy, but the, you know what? They've got the the hard stuff figured out. The beer is fantastic. Yes. So um, yeah, give them a shot at KC Beer Co on Twitter. All right, we got to get out of here. We went long today apologize for the audio maybe not being what it usually is we'll get that fixed this week and next week uh matt and sterling will be back on tuesday Verum, you're off 
correct? It's just me. I'm off. I'm uh, I'm going to be in Atlantic City on vacation for a few days, and then uh, then the following week I'm off. It's my birthday, and I'm going to be I'm on its own vacation, and I will be in no condition to come on a podcast. Yeah. So um, yeah, you people won't see me till August 11th. But uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I I will be around constantly. So yeah. do that. Do that. All right. Now. I'll have to go. I'll have to start my my uh, my search for a co-host. Maybe uh, the football god Matt Connor can help me out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, listen, everybody, we will be back next week. At least I will be. Um, thank you so much for hanging with us. Can't believe there's still over a hundred of you here watching live after uh, over an hour and ten minutes of this podcast. Appreciate you. We're going to hit the road, uh, but we'll see you next week. But until then, as always, go Chiefs. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Find easy ways to store your outdoor tools and accessories at Menards. Suncast provides high quality and easy to assemble storage. Suncast storage sheds are the perfect solution for organizing and protecting your outdoor tools and equipment. Plus, their all-weather construction is low maintenance. Explore all our outdoor storage options in-store and on Menards.com. And check out more of our great deals going on now at Menards. Save